0: You're going to love this. Just love it.
1: As ever... Pacifica Radio's KPFK in Los Angeles. This is your broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, 93.7 FM in San Diego, 99.5 FM Ridgecrest in China Lake, 91.7 FM KYAQ on the beautiful Oregon Central Coast, and of course, coast to coast and around the globe. On KPFK.org. On the Stitcher app. On the TuneIn app. On the iTunes. On the Progressive Voices channel. Netroots Radio. Indie Media Weekly. FYI Nation. Radio or not. Radio Free Brooklyn. And of course, Five Days a Week on Radio Sputnik. Glad you could join us. A reminder to our KPFK listeners, you too can hear us five days a week. All you got to do is go on over to the KPFK.org archives and download your Bradcast. I am Brad Friedman from bradblog.com, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me. Uh, It has been uh, actually quite a week over the uh, (laughs) already. We're we're only sort of midway through, but it's been quite a week already uh, with the uh, with the Hastert indictment, with the uh, with the resignation, the announced resignation of Judge Mark Weifbeater Fuller, someone who we have covered in great detail on this program, uh, even if uh, almost all of the other programs have not. Anyway. Uh, If you missed uh, any uh, portion of our coverage this week, don't forget, go on over to those archives at KPFK.org. Find out what happened to Mark Fuller, who beat his wife in an Atlanta hotel room. He's he's going to be leaving, although he's going to be getting some money from you, the taxpayer, before he does. Hey, you know what the Democratic primary for the 2016 presidential uh, nomination actually needs, Desi Doyen?
2: No, what would that be?
1: A Republican. What? Yes, that's right. Rhode Island's former Republican city council member, uh, mayor, U.S. senator, turned independent governor, turned Democratic presidential candidate. Lincoln Chafee entered the 2016 Democratic primary race on Wednesday. And, of course, America is going crazy for him. (laughs) It's Link Chafee fever.
2: It it yeah, and if it's Link Chafee, Chafee fever, yeah. it's pretty low grade, I have to say. No, no,
1: it's Link Mentum.
2: Oh, yes. Link Mentum. He's, yes. he's got the Link Mentum. Got the Link Mentum. Yeah, that's not difficult to stay at all.
1: Uh, AP uh, said this was kind of uh, sad, actually, very sad uh, <laughs> in uh, AP's article uh, today on uh, on Link Chafee getting into the uh, Democratic race, and I'm sure he's uh, by the way a fine fellow. He is. It should be noted here. The only Republican, when he was a Republican, the only Republican senator to have voted against going to war in Iraq. So on that, uh, he's got a leg up on Hillary Clinton, at least, uh, who did vote to go to, a, uh, to war in Iraq. So but not that. a
2: leg up on his fellow Democratic presidential challenger, Bernie Sanders, senator from Vermont.
1: Or Martin O'Malley, you haven't forgotten about Martin O'Malley, yeah, have you? Yeah, but
2: Martin O'Malley, okay. I don't think was in the Senate, so I don't think he had a chance to make oh, that that's vote. True. That yeah, of course, that's true. that they're able to now tout, which was the whole point of the vote at the time.
1: AP writes that uh, uh, his latest uh, political mo- maneuver has attracted uh, not much notice, uh, even from his hometown paper. A fact that frustrated at least one person very close to the soon-to-be candidate. Uh, this was uh, AP writing, said, uh, no one has contacted him, wrote his wife, Stephanie Chafee, on Facebook nearly three weeks after his April announcement. So in April, he announced he was exploring, uh, and then she added, so sad, in all capital letters.
2: Well, it is sad when but you think about it.
1: But he's running anyway. You know who's not running? You know who's not a candidate for president this year? No, who? Jeb Bush. What? Yes, he's not running more on that a little bit later in the program. <laughs> he's uh at least he's pretending not to run even while he is flouting all of the uh campaign laws or whatever is left of them in this country.
2: Yeah, he sure is making a lot of uh not money, not campaigning, and those are not campaign donations, whatever they are. I don't know what they are.
1: Correct. Correct. We will find out what they are a little bit later in the show. Uh, also, uh, we'll see if we can get to this a little bit later. Our, our friend Jason Leopold testified this week in Congress, uh, and he was actually fantastic. He was cracking up the whole room. He testified on the Freedom of Information Act and how terrible it is, or at least how terrible the administration's response to the Freedom of Information Act has been. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that, uh, hopefully, later. And uh, we may have uh, Jason uh, back on with us on this uh, very bro- uh, broadcast a little bit later in the week. Speaking of friends, Dr. Tucker of Washington Monthly will join us in a bit to discuss what may be the end of the greatest con of the 20 and 21st centuries. And no... Contrary to climate change denying Oklahoma Senator James Inhofe, the greatest hoax ever perpetrated on the American people is not global warming. It is something else entirely. D.R. Tucker will be here to uh, talk about that. But speaking of cons, I was uh, I was uh, actually home over the weekend for some uh, family obligations and talking to my family, who I love uh, very much, my extended family, my cousins, aunts, uncles and so forth. um uh, You know, uh, I'm from Missouri, and so a lot of people think of Missouri like it's the deep south. It is not, at least not St. Louis, Missouri, uh, although the entire state has become more and more Republican over the years since I left. I blame me. But my uh, my my relatives, many of them are deeply, deeply Republican, which is fine. Uh, but they're deeply deeply republican not because they are stupid cuz they're not they're smart they're doctors they're lawyers they you know they're well educated they seem to be republicans because uh they have just been deeply deeply conned absolutely conned and every time i go home they're uh you know peppering me uh what was it this week uh, you 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 can't debate that uh Barack Obama wants to take away our guns. Well, actually, yeah, I can't. You can't debate that uh, where he's made us less safe. They're, they're, ter- they're terrified. They're scared to death of terrorists, of being attacked by terrorists. They're in the middle of St. Louis, Missouri. There are no terrorists that really want to get to them. Uh, maybe they want to, you know, Monsanto is headquartered nearby. Maybe they want to get to Monsanto. They don't want to get to these people. Uh, But uh, the reason they are so conned is because it seems like they listen to nothing but uh, Fox News and Rush Limbaugh and the Wall Street Journal owned by uh, what's his name? Rupert Murdoch, Fox News. So it's bad enough that they have fallen for this con that many in America have by reading the right wing media. But it's bad enough when it happens on Fox. How about when it happens in The New York Times? That's what drives me absolutely up a wall. And we've been covering the New York Times proclivity to produce nonsense over the years. Uh, Fairness and Accuracy in Reporting uh, covered this column that ran last week at New York Times. Here's the headline. Have Democrats pulled too far left? I know. What? What? Uh, Because this question is always answered affirmatively by corporate media, writes Fair, you don't even uh, have to note that the author, Peter Wehner, served in the last three Republican administrations to know that the answer is going to be yes. And then he goes on to make the case. Now, you can make the argument. This is an op-ed and you can make the argument, uh, any argument you want, I suppose, in an op-ed. But facts are facts. And the New York Times, look, even when I uh, you know, have guest bloggers at bradblog.com, and you can ask the folks who write there, I drive them crazy, making sure the facts are correct. The facts, the independently verifiable facts. So uh, Fair writes about, despite the predictable thesis of the article, have Democrats pulled too far left, this column still manages to surprise with its degree of intellectual dishonesty. Weiner, uh, Weiner's thesis is that Barack Obama has, quote, moved to the left compared to centrist new Democrat Bill Clinton. But whenever Weiner makes a claim that can be checked, it simply is empty rhetoric. Take Weiner's claim that while Clinton endorsed a sentencing policy, a sentencing policy of three strikes and you're out, Obama's former attorney general, Eric Holder, criticized what he called, quote, widespread incarceration and championed the first decrease in the federal prison population in more than three decades. But what Weiner doesn't tell you is that the federal prison population is 48 percent bigger under the left Obama than it was when centrist Clinton left office. Quote from the uh, Wieners article, Mr. Clinton lowered the capital gains tax rate. Mr. Obama has proposed raising it. Well, that's true. Clinton lowered the rate capital gains were taxed at to 20 percent. Under Obama, it did go up. It went up to 20 (laughs) percent. So you see how he's to the left. Uh, Mr. Clinton cut spending and produced a surplus, writes Wiener. Under Mr. Obama, spending and the deficit reached record levels. Now, uh, from, uh, as Fair points out, from 1993 through 2000, Clinton reduced the U.S. budget imbalance as a proportion of U.S. GDP by 6 percentage points. Obama reduced it by 7 percentage points. But perhaps the most deceptive part of Weiner's op-ed is when he blames Obama's supposed shift to the left for the failing fortunes of the Democratic Party. He writes, After two enormous losses by Democrats in 2010 and, uh, and 2014 midterm elections, Republicans control the Senate and the House of Representatives. That's true. There are currently 31 Republican governors compared with 18 for Democrats. The Obama years have been politically good for Mr. Obama, but they have been disastrous for his party writes Peter Weiner in The New York Times. Fair responds by saying, Surely Weiner remembers that after the first half of Clinton's first term, Republicans controlled both the House and the Senate for the remainder of his administration, exactly as happened under Obama. There were 30 Democratic governors when Clinton took office and 19 when he left. There were 29 Democratic governors when Obama took office and currently there are 18. Yes, that equals Democrats having been pulled far to the left according to the New York Times. These are just facts, people. You can check your facts. You can check your uh, the facts that uh, uh, you know gird your argument when you write an op-ed. And if your facts don't uh, uh, you know measure up, you don't run them. Why does New York Times do this? Is New York Times trying to just prove their non Democratic credentials? I don't know, but they do this time and time again. It's one thing when Fox does it. It's a whole nother manner entirely when New York Times does it, when New York Times fails its obligation to educate the electorate. But that's what we do here. And we try to undo the cons that uh, folks like Fox News and the New York Times and even Ronald Reagan perpetrate on the electorate. And that's what we're going to talk about next. That, oh, and Rush Limbaugh with our friend D.R. Tucker. All of that is straight ahead. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your broadcast. Please stay tuned.
3: Hi, this is Dan Ellsberg, Pentagon Papers whistleblower. And you're listening to the broadcast. <laughs>
1: No, you're not listening to the Rush Limbaugh program. But I just thought I'd drive my next guest, my next guest, crazy and make his head explode. Because you know I always like to be nice to my guests by uh, making their heads explode before they come on the air. Welcome back to the broadcast, Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. I believe Dr. Tucker is standing by. Head exploded or otherwise. Uh, we talked a little bit in in the past in the last segment about uh, basically the, you know the great con that is working that is you know right wing media that is Fox News and that has infiltrated its way into the non right wing non wing nut media like the New York Times. And that is the great con, uh, one of the great cons of the uh, of the last decade or two in this in this country. But I would argue that the greatest hoax ever perpetrated on the American people, as uh, Senator James Inhofe likes to describe climate change, is not in fact climate change, but was in fact this short utterance from one Ronald Wilson Reagan: "Government is not the solution to our problem." government is the problem I would argue that in fact that phrase that thinking is in fact the problem and has been the problem for the past I don't know 35 years or so in this country the idea that uh, government is the problem and that the corporate sector and the corporations are your friends government can't do anything. Let's privatize everything. If you look at all of the problems we're looking at, it all seems to in this country it all seems to come back to the privatization of things that were formerly run by we the people, we the government. And the scam has worked because it's, you know, made people believe that anything involved with the government can't possibly be good, anything in the private sector is going to be better. Are those days now coming to an end? There's a reason I played Rush Limbaugh because, uh, well, uh, Rush Limbaugh may be coming to an end. Over at the Washington Monthly um, a week or two ago here, D.R. Tucker, our old friend, uh, wrote, When Reagan declared in in January 1981 that government was the problem, he inflicted a psychological blow upon this country that was in some ways worse than Watergate. He essentially declared that government was, by its very nature, incompetent and ineffective and feckless and worthless. He told Americans that it is okay to hate their government. Not just be skeptical of them, but to hate their government. Okay to put more faith in special interests than the public sector. Okay to mock and ridicule federal employees. Okay to view government as taking money from hardworking Americans and handing it over To the so called undeserving. That was a couple of weeks ago. It was part of a series that D.R. Tucker wrote at Washington Monthly uh, called American Crash. And it took place just after that horrific train accident up in Philadelphia, which, as we have come to learn since, could have been avoided. Had the government put in uh, the uh, safety recommendations that had been, uh, you know, p- recommended by experts, but no. Instead, the budgets for Amtrak, the budgets for trains, have been cut, have been gutted. Because you know what? Well, why do we need to? Why does the government need to do that? If if it was a, if it was a product worthwhile, it would be supported by the, by the private sector. It would be run by the private sector. Anyway, D.R. Tucker joins us to talk about all of this and much more, including the end of Rush Limbaugh and the end of the Reagan-era con. D.R. Tucker is a Massachusetts-based freelance writer. He writes for the Washington Monthly, Huffington Post, Boston Herald, Boston Globe Magazine over the years. uh, He had been a former contributor to the conservative website Human Events Online and David Frum's Frum Forum. Of course, his proudest achievement is occasionally writing at bradblog.com. We are delighted to have him here today. D.R. Tucker, sir, welcome back to the broadcast.
3: Good, how are you doing?
1: Uh, I'm doing okay. Now, you spent, before we get into this, uh, this Reagan con and maybe the end of Rush, we'll see, you spent the bulk of your life as a dyed-in-the-wool Republican. I think that's fair to say. You'll correct me if I'm wrong. And now you seem to be a- about as stridently progressive as anybody I know, um, what happened to you, Dr. How did that? How did that come about? You've changed.
3: Well, as you know, as you know, Brad, a few years ago, I wrote a piece for David Frum's site uh, discussing my realization that a lot of the stuff that had been fed by the right-wing media about the issue of climate change was nonsense, and that climate change was, in fact, a real thing, a real threat, a real problem, and that and that there ought to be a bipartisan response to that. Uh, for for that effort and for that call, I was basically. <laughs> For the last several months, for for much of the months afterwards, Mm -hmm. I was attacked online and in person by, shall we say, the low IQ element inside the Republican Party to the point where I just basically got sick of it. And And when I saw the attack on the 2012 presidential candidate, Republican presidential candidate, John Huntsman, and how basically he was the target of a rhetorical lynch mob set on him by, among others, Roger Ailes of Fox News, I basically decided that any party that would allow that to happen was a party I didn't want to be involved with anymore, so I decided to strike out on my own and became an independent.
1: And now, to be fair, uh, you're not trying, as far as I can tell, again, correct me if I'm wrong, you're not trying to save the Republican Party, uh, as I've seen some of these lapsed Republicans, uh, perhaps even guys like Bruce Bartlett, and we may get into him and his study in a minute, mm-hmm. but. You're not trying to save the Republican Republican Party. It seems like it seems to me, from reading your work, that you now despise it and would, if I read between the lines, like to destroy it at this point. Is is that too strong, Dr.
3: I think that uh, you, there's this old analogy that when you have a rabid dog, you put the dog down. What happens if you have a rabid party? What do you do with it? That's the way I see things these days. <laughs> I,
1: I guess you do. Uh, all right. Well, uh, let's let's get into some of the the meat here, Dr. You. I, I've been uh, talking about for a while. I'm I'm beginning to see what I think is the dawn of a progressive era, actually. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's it's not immediately apparent. It's somewhat counterintuitive because you see, you know, Republicans in Congress and uh, uh, around the states, local uh, Republicans seem to have a Uh, You know, uh, about the largest margin over Democrats that they have had in decades. And yet there are certain signs and signs that I think I've seen in your writing that you seem to be noticing as well that maybe a progressive era is uh, uh, coming upon us. And more notably, the end of the Reagan revolution, uh, as we see uh, guys like uh, Rush Limbaugh perhaps fading into the darkness. Uh, He has uh, big news, because you're from Massachusetts, uh, that uh, Boston, Boston's WRKO, the state's longtime distributor of right wing agitprop, as you described it, has now decided to drop Rush Limbaugh's syndicator radio show after two decades. Uh,
3: it, it, do, do you see
1: the same thing that I'm seeing here, Dr?
3: Definitely, definitely. And with specific regard to the the RKO issue, there was a time when that station, an AM station, was the highest rated station, AM or FM, in Boston about 30 years ago, or a right-wing talk station. And last year it was reported by a website known as Boston Radio Watch, actually earlier this year, that late last year they had their lowest ratings in the 33-year history of their network. Mm. And the combination of the lowest ratings in history And basically, the the, the amount of money, talk about a heist, the amount of money that that is involved with having to, you know, essentially pay for the rights to Limbaugh's show, essentially was sinking the station and had to throw him off the air. And something similar happened with with the station in Indianapolis, which which was another one of these right-wing talk stations. And as you see, the decline of right-wing talk radio across the country in terms of ratings, the fact that the audiences can literally only be found in morgues and graveyards, uh, the fact that that. That you know, ever since ever since Limbaugh you know rhetorically assaulted and violated Sandra Fluke, uh, advertisers have been running for the hills. You begin to see that Wingnut Radio has become the snake that consumes its own tail, <laughs> to, to the point where there's essentially nothing left. It's basically hanging on by a husk. And I know there was a report in Politico a while back about you know the various uh, uh, entities and special interests trying to prop up Wingnut Radio for as long as they can, but sooner or later it comes to an end. And not not a moment too soon. When you look at the at the destruction and the devastation that the propaganda of wingnut radio has inflicted upon this country since the late 1980s, the the end of that era cannot come soon enough, in my view.
1: You've argued, and and to be fair here, actually, uh, Dr. Is it the end of right-wing talk radio, or is it the end of talk radio, and perhaps even radio as a whole? Uh, I mean, can you really say that it is, uh, I hate to use the word conservative in this case, but right wing talk radio that is that is on the ropes versus, you know, media, radio, uh, terrestrial radio overall?
3: Well, if you look at some of these, these media reports, people, people make the observation that while right-wing talk radio is dying, sports radio is, is doing well and country music is doing well. So it's not as if a radio itself is dying, but I think the difference between country music and sports on the one hand and right-wing talk radio on the other hand is that there's a relatively younger demographic mm-hmm. for sports radio and even for country music. The usual, usual assumptions one makes about the audience for country music, whereas with right-wing talk radio, the audience doesn't have a pulse anymore. Basically, so so, there, so certain forms of radio are thriving, and other forms of radio are DOA. And thank God, I say.
1: Now, whatever the change that is happening here, Dr. And I don't know what it is, but is it? Do you think is it trickling down, so to speak, uh, to the rest of the media, particularly the? the broadcast media if in fact we are seeing a sea change if we are seeing a progressive the dawn of a progressive era because you know like i said the gop has had their biggest advantage in in congress and and local levels in in decades so what what signs do we have that the electorate is actually uh changing well
3: well, I, t- I take my cue from a point that, that Tom Hartman has recently made about when you look at Bernie Sanders's, uh, the Democratic presidential candidate Bernie Sanders's appearances, and his appearances on C-SPAN, how you see even self-professed, dyed-in-the-wool Republicans responding to his message, uh, and the fact that you see, you know, these signs and these polls of for, on issue for issue, marriage equality, even polling on climate change, you see more and more self-professed Republicans saying, hey, wait a minute, you know, there's a difference between reality and what has been spoon-fed uh, to us through this, white, to this right-wing media infrastructure. So despite the, the, the benefits that have been accorded to Republicans through the combination of low, ter- vote, low voter turnout and high voter suppression, you are seeing these signs that things are beginning to change and that the 35 years of, of Reaganism may be about to collapse, like the Berlin Wall itself.
1: How much are uh, right-wingers to blame? And we're speaking uh, with D.R. Tucker, a blogger over at Washington Monthly. Um, how much are the right-wingers to blame for this themselves? And I, I asked that by way of bringing up Bruce Bartlett's uh, remarkable academic uh, study here that he put out uh, a, a couple of weeks ago about Fox News. And let me just read the abstract here. He said the creation of Fox News in 1996 was an event of deep yet unappreciated political and historical uh, importance. For the first time, there was a news source available virtually everywhere in the United States, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, with a conservative tilt. Finally, conservatives did not have to seek out bits of news favorable to their point of view in liberal publications or in small magazines and newsletters, like someone dying of thirst in the desert Conservatives drank heavily from the Fox waters. Soon it became the dominant and, in many cases, virtually the only major news source for millions of Americans and that uh, this has had a profound political implication that are are only now starting to be appreciated. Indeed, it can almost be called self-brainwashing. Many conservatives now refuse to even listen to any news or opinion not vetted through Fox and to believe whatever appears on it as the gospel truth. And it is also, he he goes on to argue, uh, and to show data for, has also, you know, wherever Fox News has been installed when it first came on the air, there was a swing in uh, in the Republican electorate in favor of Republican candidates. So with all of this in place, how much of, you know, what is happening now and the bubble that they now live in is of their own making, and by the way, uh, were you similarly conned by the uh, Fox News con when it first appeared back in
3: 1996? Dr. Well, well, the thing the thing is, even back then, I wasn't a big fan of Fox News because I thought that the, Bill O'Reilly and Sean Hannity were, was, or they weren't terribly bright. I was a big right wing radio fan until I basically realized how much they were they were lying. But in terms but in terms of of you know of the Republican Party creating their own troubles and basically setting up this situation where the empire starts collapsing. I think what happened is that a lot of these guys did not know how to self-regulate. They did not know, they did not have any sort of self-control. They did not understand that there's a point past past which you can't go. So when you have things like Rush Limbaugh going after Sandra Fluke, that's stepping over a line that one should not step over and you're seeing this now with the, with this right-wing media assault on on Caitlyn Jenner, uh, which has I mean, I, mean I, I hate to even bring this up, but, but I can't avoid when I see this assault, this sort of sense that they're doing to Caitlyn Jenner rhetorically when, what they once did to George Tiller and we saw the dark implications of that and when, when you're, you're just,
1: just to be clear, uh, Dr. Tiller, you're talking about the uh, Kansas uh, abortion doctor who, who they killed the crazy guy, shot him in the head dead
3: Essentially, and you see this sort of rhetorical aggression being directed towards Caitlyn Jenner, which just has overtones of what was done to Tiller. And and so you can only do that so many times until people say, people who aren't totally stupid say, "Wait a minute, that's got to stop." In fact, if you go on these mm-hmm. on, on some of the on some of these.
1: See, you know what? I, I and I I hope you're right. Uh, I'm not sure that you are though because I I think that they are still self, you know, deluding themselves. They they deluded themselves into thinking that uh, Mitt Romney was going to win when in fact there was n- pretty much never any polls ever that showed that he was going to win. But now they're, oh well, it's because the uh, you know, the election was stolen, the polls were tilted, so of course people were dispirited and they didn't go out to vote. I mean, I, I, they still seem to be making excuses. At least, if my own experience with my own family, who I love very much, but many of whom, and they're very smart, but many of whom are just right wingers and they buy into the nonsense. And I, I don't know if I see any sign that there's uh, that that the con is yet getting uh, through to them.
3: Mm. Well, well, in in a piece I did uh, uh, recently. Uh, was entitled positive outcomes. I basically said that you know it's going to be interesting to see what happens if the Supreme Court rules in favor of marriage equality nationwide. Because mm-hmm. you know and I know that the right wing media will go over the edge, and go even further than they've ever gone before in demonizing mm-hmm. members of the LGBT community. And you and you will then have to wonder how far they go before Republicans who have LGBT friends and family members say. It's time to shut this off. I I can't tolerate my my flesh and blood or my best friends being beaten on and assaulted and Insulted the way they are, I saw that story about Mike Huckabee, you know you know cracking jokes about uh, about transgendered citizens, yes. and again, at what point do these guys go so far over the edge that they start losing their own audience? I think we are very, very, very close to that point.
1: Uh, that point remains to be seen, and I hope you're right, D.R. Tucker. I hope we are very, very close to that uh, to that point. Uh, we've got just a minute or so oh, and by the way, that i I, I failed to uh, mention that that study by Bruce Bartlett, Bruce Bartlett. Uh, used to be, I think he was the budget director for the uh, Ronald Reagan administration. Uh, I believe so. Yeah, but for Ronald Reagan and George uh, H. W. Bush. So this is a you know mm-hmm. longtime Republican, and if you follow him on uh, on the Twitters, he is just now uh, merciless against uh, the what he describes as the wankers that now run the uh, entirety of the Republican Party. It seems. Uh, in the minute or two left, uh, we have uh, Dr. Uh, You spend, it seems, uh, more time on global warming than just about anything else and your concerns about global warming. And uh, Mm -hmm. and I should say you you may even spend more time on it than anybody that I know. Are you seeing signs? um, We talked a little bit about this yesterday that, uh, you know, back in 2012, 2012 presidential election, nobody, none of the presidential candidates were asked about their position on climate change. Are you seeing signs that that is changing, that uh, the media is starting to uh, change itself, and that in 2014 there may be a more robust—I'm sorry, where are we? In 2016 there may be a more robust debate about about global warming and and this crop of presidential candidates.
3: It's an interesting question question. It was something I was discussing with, with our mutual friend uh, uh, Betsy Rosenberg of, of of the Green Front uh, mm-hmm. uh, Radio Network. Uh, wh- wh- to the extent that we're seeing more coverage in the media and more coverage in terms of the political discussion, I think it is being forced almost exclusively by the Bernie Sanders presidential campaign. I, I, I have come up with this hashtag, thank you Bernie, for, to, to describe the, the effect that I think he's had on the media discussion, because there was a time, as recently as earlier this year, we were have all these extreme weather events, and n- no connection to climate change, you would have these extremist remarks from from various pres- from various presidential candidates. And and nobody would, would raise questions about it. And now all of a sudden Bernie Sanders gets in, and all of a sudden not only are you seeing NBC and CBS and all these networks uh, all we, uh, covering covering extreme weather events in the context of climate, they're actually you're actually seeing candidates being interviewed and pressed about their positions on climate change. I mean I mean there, there was a recent story about, about uh, I guess Rick Santorum suggesting that the Pope doesn't know anything about climate change. So you see how Bernie Sanders has had this mm
1: Well said, my friend, a uh, surprisingly uh, optimistic, unsurprisingly passionate D.R. Tucker of Washington Monthly. Uh, check out his work at the Political Animal blog over there. And, as I like to say, far too occasionally at Bradblog.com. Uh, DR, I, I need to uh, con you, trick you, uh, somehow get you to write uh, more for us whenever you're uh, when, on one of those passionate jags. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank uh, you. Great talking to you, DR. DR Tucker from Washington Monthly. Okay, we're going to take a quick break and come back with much more broadcast right ahead. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your broadcast. <laughs> Well, the house was rocking yesterday uh, at Cap- on Capitol Hill, the U.S. House, as our friend Jason Leopold was testifying up there about the Freedom of Information Act. Welcome back. This is your broadcast, Brad Friedman of bradblog.com. Uh yeah, Jason Leopold, who I hope we're going to have on uh, a little bit later this week to talk about this cuz uh this is something that has driven me crazy for years. Obviously, it's uh, driving uh, Jason to the brink of insanity. <laughs> it's not a far drive though, this is true. but you know. Uh so uh, Jason Leopold a uh investigative reporter now over at Vice News. He testified about how the uh, administration has been slow walking freedom of information act requests now for years and it seems like it's getting worse and worse and worse and he has filed thousands of information uh, freedom of information act requests FOIA requests we've had him on the show to talk about a lot of them that he has you know obtained back from the the pentagon and so forth concerning uh, guantanamo bay this is how reporters do their job at least good ones at least good investigative reporters They get information that is on the public record. And the Freedom of Information Act is supposed to allow reporters like Jason Leopold, like myself, uh, access to these documents to find out how our government works. And that's why, you know, on this show uh, a couple of months ago, we were able to play the entirety of that 911 call that was uh, made by... U.S. District Judge Mark Fuller's wife at the time that she says she was being beaten by her husband. And because I made that request, in this case to the Atlanta police, and I got that audio when Mark Fuller's lawyer came out and told what I regarded as, uh, well, let's be kind, contradictions between what his excuse was and what was actually heard on that 911 tape, we were able to play it for you. So uh, holding up these FOIA requests, slow walking them uh, is is really harmful to the public's interest and certainly to uh, journalism and journalists like Jason. He uh, had this one exchange that I'll just uh, point to for now. Washington Post mentioned it. Eric Wemple's uh, uh, Washington Post. Eric Wemple mentioned it. Jason was saying and we don't have the audio here, but he says uh, that he was filing a request with the Pentagon in his testimony here. And uh, he said, I filed a FOIA request. The Pentagon refused to comply with my FOIA request. They said it was too broad. I narrowed it. They said it was still too broad. I sued them because you have the right to sue when they don't respond. Recently, they said, quote, we'll give you some documents as long as you promise to never file a FOIA request again. And don't have anyone else file a FOIA request on your behalf. Congressman Mark de uh, I think that's how you say his name, from California, uh, asked Jason, How is that legal? Leopold said, I don't know. But he said they put it in writing, and I'm really looking forward to the day when I can write up this story, when I write this story up. Uh, so, you know, they said, OK, we'll give you your documents. Just don't ask for any more of them. Your government at work. Now, be careful, because I talked in the last segment about the great con that was Ronald Reagan's, uh, what was his con?
3: Government is not the solution to our problem. Government is the problem.
1: Yeah, that con. Uh, I want to be careful because, uh, you know, well, two things. It's a nuance here. Uh, One, journalists and, frankly, the American public need to be skeptical of their government. I'm not saying they shouldn't be. I'm saying that there has been over the past uh, 35 years a, uh, a grotesque misdirection that has been uh, uh, you know, given to the American people. Oh, don't look over here at all of these private corporations. Look at that government. It's that government that's that's keeping you down. They're the ones you need to worry about. Don't worry about those corporate interests, those private. They're looking out for you, the private sector. They're the good guys. Government's the bad guys. Um. Well, government is uh, sometimes the bad guys, and our job uh, as journalists is to let you know not only what the government is doing, but what the private sector is doing as well. So Jason is doing a hell of a good job of uh, trying to hold government feet to the fire, and uh, we all obviously need to do that. But, uh, well, anyway, we'll talk to him about that in, in the days ahead. Uh, I I was just happy to see this uh, hearing uh, take place and I was happy to see Jason get in there, who has been described as, I think, by one of these agencies as a FOIA terrorist for all of the uh, FOIA requests he's filed. Um, Speaking of terrorists, no, that's completely inappropriate. Uh, I, I don't mean that as the segue. I'm just saying it as a joke. Jeb Bush. See how I. uh, uh, Nothing to do with terrorism. That's right. It's just a joke, people. We love Jeb Bush,
2: of course. No, we don't. Well, I'm just saying. He's a loon.
1: But, uh, and he's actually not a loon, but he is too stupid to be president. That said, he is pulling, speaking of scams, this guy is pulling an amazing scam on the American people. Because did you know that Jeb Bush is not running for president? That's right. Jeb Bush is not actually a candidate. He is out there raising millions of millions of dollars. I think we're up to, uh, what is it, nine or ten uh, Republican candidates have now gotten in the race. But not Jeb Bush. No, he he's only considering running for president. And in the meantime, that means the millions and millions of dollars that he's raising do not have to be reported. We don't have to let the American people know where that money is coming from. And that's about all he's doing, by the way, is raising money. He's not out there on the stump doing a lot of uh, of uh, politicking. He's just raising money. And he is coordinating with his own political action, his own super PAC which is illegal once you're a candidate but until you're a candidate it is not illegal he is and the uh, the media have not been uh, covering this appropriately he is completely rewriting the rules for running for president by making a mockery of the uh, of the uh, the law the statutes that require once you become a candidate that you know there are certain reporting requirements He's making a joke out of it. Of course, he's running for president. So good for Bob Schieffer on his last—I believe this was his last uh, uh, appearance on CBS. his last Face the Nation uh, this past Sunday for trying to grill Jeb Bush on this absolute nonsense, where he's making a mockery of our political system while he is already playing fast and loose with the laws. In case you're wondering what he'd be like as president. Take a look at what he's like as a candidate, or at least in this case, a non-candidate. Here's Schieffer with Bush on Sunday. It's
0: pretty obvious that you're running for president. You're going around the country. You're raising huge amounts of money for your super PAC, uh, in addition to making all the traditional campaign stops everywhere. Watchdog groups and some of your opponents are saying you're really uh, maybe violating campaign laws and that uh, the attorney general ought to be investigating because they they point out that you can't raise money and and coordinate strategy uh, with these super PACs, uh, and once you declare as a candidate. Uh, You can't do that anymore. Uh, Do you think in some way you may be just at least violating the spirit of the law? Do you feel that uh, you have violated the law here? of course not. I would never do that. Of course not. um, I'm nearing the end of this journey of of traveling and listening to people, garnering, trying to get a sense of whether my candidacy would be uh, viable or not. Uh, we're going to complete, completely adhere to the law for sure. Look, politics is politics. <laughs> There's always uh, people that are going to be carpent on the sidelines. Carpent And should I be Carpen. a candidate? And that will be in the relatively near future, where that decision will be made. Yeah. There will be no coordination at all with a, any super PAC. Now you're not telling me that there is a possibility you may not run. I, I, look, I hope I hope I run. To be honest with you, he's, I'd like to run, sure. but I haven't made sure. the decision. Well, what it's would amazing. have to happen between now and then to convince you not to run? <laughs> Who knows. I've learned not to answer a lot of hypothetical questions. <laughs> You're probably going to rot. I hope so. I hope. I hope I'm a candidate in the in the near future.
1: Oh, I hope so. I hope. But who knows? Who knows? We'll see. He's deciding. Man, I. I you know, talk about uh, flouting the laws. Oh, brother, and uh, well, of course, also uh, later this week, I'm I'm hoping we'll talk a little bit about. Speaking of flouting the laws, uh, Hillary, Hillary Clinton, and her um, uh, the Clinton Foundation, and some questions about uh, money that they had not not the questions that have been asked so far about the Clinton cash, but um, well, we'll get to that. So that's uh, Jeb Bush. Uh, Maybe. He's not sure. He is, as uh, Slate's Josh Voorhees calls him, the undecider-in-chief at this time. (laughs) He's not sure. That's pretty good, actually.
2: I'm just sort of surprised by his lack of agency. I hope I'll be running. I hope that this will be something I choose to do. I mean, he makes it sound like it's a decision being made by somebody else, and in a sense it is. But, you know, the way that he portrays it is, I hope, I hope, I hope. Well, he has to.
1: He actually has to, by law, because there was at one point where I believe he said, uh, I'm running for president in 2016. He slipped up. This was a couple of weeks ago. Uh, you're, you're not allowed to say that. He said, I'm running for president in 2016. If you say I'm running for president in 2016, that means you're running for president in 2016. And that and you triggers have to all the laws. Trigger, exactly. The laws that he's uh, happily working around as he is really rewriting the way to run for president and not for the better. Um Speaking of Jeb Bush, I've had this audio that I've wanted to get to for a while. Do we have to, some time for this uh, audio? We, we, On the Green News Report, as uh, our regular listeners know, uh, Desi and I, we've been covering all of the candidates, Republican and Democratic, as they've come into the race for the 2016. We've been reco- uh, covering their climate change positions since... Many of them, for some odd reason, don't like to talk about them, and uh, at least back in uh, 2012, the media weren't asking them about them. So now, of course, Jeb Bush has not officially come into the race yet, so we have not yet officially covered Jeb Bush's climate change position. But we've had this audio for a while and it, it kind of drives me crazy because uh, speaking of the undecider in chief, listen to how he and, and uh, does uh, keep it. Well, we'll keep it playing here. We may stop and start it a little bit. But here is uh, Jeb Bush being asked about his climate change position and see if you can make any sense of this.
0: The climate is changing. Um. I don't think the science is clear of what percentage is man-made and which, what percentage is natural. Okay, this, hang on.
1: Desi Doyen, you are a uh, global warming maven here. Is the uh, percentage clear about what is man-made and what is not.
2: Yeah, according to the scientists, the people that actually study this stuff, that it is man-made and as far as the amount that is man-made, you'd have to delve into the details of what part is man-made and then what part are natural triggers and feedbacks that were triggered by man that are now uh, going into, uh, taking, uh, taking off. So when you talk about the difference between man-made and natural, you get into that kind of nuance and I don't think that that's what Jeb Bush is talking about.
1: Uh, no, but if he can confuse the public with it, it, he's happy to do so. It's convoluted. And for oh, the people to convoluted. say the
0: science is decided on this is just really arrogant, to be honest with you. It's, it's this intellectual arrogance that now, you can't have a conversation about it even.
1: Is that true, Desi Doyen? Is it arrogant? Are you just arrogant you can't have a conversation about it?
2: <laughs> no, of course not. We've been talking about it quite a bit. You can have a conversation. It's just you can't make up your own facts about this. The facts are established.
1: You're so arrogant. Press on.
0: Climate is changing, we need to adapt to that reality, and I think as part of a small part in terms of prioritization of our foreign policy, we need to encourage the states, the countries that have had an increase in uh, carbon emissions. We're not one of them. Yeah, we are. We've actually been, we've had a decrease, a pretty significant decrease, and it will continue on, not because of Barack Obama, no, but because of the energy revolution Because of free enterprise.
1: Free enterprise. There you go. Free enterprise. It's natural gas. That is what has helped us get ahead. Fracking, thanks to I guess Jeb Bush and magic or something that uh, allowed all of this this uh, natural gas to go insane since Barack Obama has come to office.
2: Yeah, that was magic. That happened spontaneously, naturally arising out of the uh, out of the earth. uh, Obama had nothing to do with that, of course, which is not true.
1: It increased hundreds fold, I think, since he's taken off.
2: Yeah, it has. And, you know, he's right about one thing, about the fact that natural gas does have a lower emissions profile, but it is because of the policies put forth by the Obama administration that made natural gas more competitive against polluting coal.
0: Private property rights, because of American innovation, has created a combination of two existing technologies, hydraulic fracking and horizontal drilling has created an explosion of lower carbon energy. Now,
1: I I think you should when you're talking about uh, natural gas, maybe an explosion is not the best way to, <laughs> to describe it. Just saying. A good point.
0: Now is being used to replace higher carbon energy, and the net result is United States because of conservation, which I totally believe is an important part of this. Totally gas mileage in cars has gone up and all that, but also has the, gone up? the shift towards natural
1: gas. We're, Hang on, we, we, ha, has, has it gone up? I, yes, it's gone up because... They, of the
2: Obama administration. The, the, the CAFE
1: standards, yeah, the, uh, the, uh, yeah, the, 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 the mileage standards. Yes, the mileage
2: standards for cars only went up after the Obama administration required and forced the auto industry to accept those in exchange for being bailed out because the Bush administration refused to change the CAFE standards for cars.
1: Jeb must have forgot to mention that.
0: reduced our carbon emissions in spite of the efforts of this administration to try to destroy the good news coming out of the oil patch.
1: There you go, in spite of the effort Uh, The good news coming out of the oil patch. Uh,
2: Which is amazing to me because he knows this, but of course he is lying about this, that the Obama administration has expanded oil and gas drilling in the United States, has expanded it so that, you know, as you said, we have this boom, this boom that is now displacing the coal industry because coal can't compete against cheaper, cleaner-burning natural gas.
1: And you're not saying that because you support Barack Obama, at least not on this. You're you're kind of against. Are, are you not uh, against his expansion of fossil fuels?
2: Yeah, because it's stupid. It's stupid in the face of climate change. It is the dumbest thing we could do. Natural gas may be a bridge for a short period of time, but the infrastructure that is being built will ensure that these companies force us to use or try to force us to use natural gas for 50, 60, 70, 100 years, as long as they can possibly get away with it.
1: And they'll get away with it as long as you got Democrats like Barack Obama in the White House expanding, uh, the, you know, drilling for fossil fuels, expanding uh, drilling in the Arctic, and uh, Republican presidential candidates like Jeb Bush coming in and blatantly lying about it uh, and, you know, making people believe we started this show talking about my family and how they buy this nonsense when they hear it. They just buy it uncritically. And it's because, you know, Fox News, Rush Limbaugh, over and over and over repeats this nonsense. And you're going to hear all of these Republican candidates this year repeating this same nonsense. The only question is, will the media correct them this time around? Will they actually uh, tell the American people what is actually going on? Who's responsible for what? And yes, Barack Obama is responsible for the expansion of oil drilling and natural gas fracking And everything else. And I'm not happy about it, but it's the facts. And let's try to stick to them. My thanks today to our producer, Desi Doyen, to our booking goddess, Cynthia Cohn, to my guest, D.R. Tucker of Washington Monthly. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can download it at bradblog.com a little bit later on today. And as always, at Stitcher, at iTunes, and at TuneIn, all of which we hope you will uh, uh, stop by and give the Bradcast a good recommendation so others will find it as well. You can also find me and follow me on the Twitters and the Facebook at the Brad Blog. Drop us some email. Also, Bradcast at BradBlog.com. We'll be back with you same Brad time, same Brad channel tomorrow. Until then, you can find me at BradBlog.com. Com. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.